Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their beginnings to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm your host, Dave, and today is an extra special episode. There's only one host, but we have three guests. This is a first for the podcast, one of whom is a returning guest. We have Jala back on the show. Woo-woo! <laughs> It's good Somebody's got to be, gotta be excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all we all have joining us today are Tim. Hello. <laughs> and Desiree. Hello, hello. That's good to have everyone aboard. This will be a full, full house, uh, four of us here. And we're going to be taking a look at the, the entirety of the short-lived unfortunately tv show kindred the embraced so we're back in the vampire wheelhouse that is it's been a little while since we've done vampires we've been we've been doing ghosts for the last little bit so the vampires is a nice change of pace very excited also spooky (laughs) but like extra drama more drama than ghosts they yeah they brought a lot of drama and it's don't they always (laughs) those dang vampires they do. Let's They're talk just, about it. Yep, let's get into <laughs> what this is. So, uh, and this is not the reason why Tim is here. We're all here because we just enjoy this thing. But Tim uh, has, in the past, and I, I don't know if you're currently running, but has done um, Vampire the Masquerade yeah. uh, tabletop games. Yes, correct. I have also, and but it's been, a, <laughs> it's been a little bit longer for me <laughs> than it is for Tim. But um, this show, Kindred the Embraced, was an eight-episode series um, that ran in the 1990s, 1996 to be exact, and it was based on White Wolf's Vampire the Masquerade tabletop RPG. So uh, before talking about the show, it's pretty wise to talk a little bit about Vampire itself, and Tim can kind of kick us off on some some little tidbits about that. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, I'm not currently running a game. Uh, but I would very much love to. That would be that would be amazing. And I've been trying to get you guys maybe to, to do that sometime soon, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've uh, spent long hours reading the game, playing the game here and there, uh, and then just thinking about both of those things uh, dorkily. And I've read it so many times and, and done so many deep dives and wikis and whatnot that I've retained so much of the useless information in my brain that is uh, that is definitely keeping up space for more useful information. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a game that I think, uh, now, now I, I should have gotten some notes together, but I believe the first edition came out in, I know it was the early 90s. Uh, early, 90s early 90s it was. Yes. Um, when this show first came out, uh, I was actually actively playing Vampire, and so I was beyond excited that the show was a thing, and I definitely was watching it when it was on TV, but I think I was the only one of us that actually saw it when it was extant. Yes. <laughs> so, but yes, it, it, that um, Vampire came out early 90s-ish, and set in uh, White Wolf's World of Darkness. The World of Darkness games are all a bunch of different... Um, aspects of the same universe the same you know uh world you know in-game culture and vampire of course focuses on what else vampires um and the masquerade which is what they call um the kind of undercover life that they lead um coexisting with humans and um 
there are multiple different clans of the vampires. In the show, they only represent five clans. But Tim, how many are there total? Oh, Is there boy. like 13, 13 or uh, more, yeah. more than that? There's more than I that. I think it was originally, there, there used to be 13. Correct, yeah. Back when I played it, it was 13. 13. But there's like 50 Getting into now the, probably. The real dorky mythology of it all. There was 13 mm-hmm. original uh "Quote unquote antediluvians," who are I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Otherwise, somebody's going to correct yes. me. Uh, but they were the basically the like kind of the founders of each clan, and they were the original thirteen who all gave birth to then you know more and more vampires. And of course, with all tabletop RPGs, there were supplements and little things here and there, and extra things and lost clans and whatnot. So, but yes, you're correct. Thirteen uh, clans who all kind of tried to cover the the the, the whole uh, gamut uh, gamut of vampire stereotypes and, and tropes and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, being from the early 90s, of course, it was extremely, uh, you know, edgy and dark. The The tagline for it was described as being gothic horror or, or gothic punk, gothic punk horror game because it tried to kind of combine the gothic aesthetic with some punkiness and then wrapping it all up in lots of, you know, black and, and darkness and leather and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and I like that you did mention that it's basically every clan is some kind of a vampire stereotype. So um, there's a lot more to the tabletop RPG. Like there's the Camarilla, which are the quote unquote light, you know, light or good kind of vampires. And then there's like what is the other one? The Sabat. Yes. The Sabat. There you go. Sabat. The Sabat are like um, all of the darker clans, like the Tsumisi and uh, La Sombra, who are basically like uh, witches and skin skin um, crafting people who are like super extra creepy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, and they are kind of the outcasts and um, the the clans that are in the Kinder of the Embrace show are all from the Camarilla, which is like the, I don't know, like the standard vampire I guess, clans. The, the recognized vampire government, I guess, kind of one way to say it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a good way to say it. So, um, and basically how the um, different clans are laid out is that there is a prince of any given area, prince of the city in the case of the show, and then there are primogens who are the um, strongest vampire or the oldest vampire. Usually that's the same person <laughs> uh, who is the leader of each of the individual clans. That's kind of like a council, at least insofar as the show is concerned. So um, how about we talk about the different clans and like some of their stereotypes, just to familiarize with, with at least the five that are in the show. We've got Ventru, which is... Um, the main character Julian's uh, clan. So, Tim, tell sure. us a little bit about Ventru. Uh, and that's kind of a tricky one because uh, it, you know the show, like you're saying, the show had only the five clans, and even within that, they weren't always 100 percent accurate. But the idea, mm-hmm. uh, the Ventru, are they're the you know the blue bloods, the the one the the, the white collar vampires, who, the ones who are used to being in charge and, and kind of dominating through you know, schemes behind the scenes and pulling the strings and everything. Um, and part of their shtick is that they, uh, at least in the original game, um, kind of one of the, the things that really mechanically differentiated the characters were the, the dumb, the, oh, what are they, my brain just went blank. Um, 
the uh, disciplines. There we go. The disciplines, the, yes. the powers they could use, so the disciplines, and also their weaknesses. So the the Vinchu all had, you know, their main thing was the ability to, you know, literally dominate the minds of other of their beings, and and their weaknesses. That I think in the original version was that they only drink from certain kinds of of beings. So like this one, I only I can only drink from children with blonde hair, or I can only drink from, <laughs> you know, an old 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 man who's you know with a limp. I don't know, just random random things like that. Yeah. So that was kind of the idea is that each of them had their own powers and, and weaknesses and stuff yeah so uh ventru are kind of the leader types they're kind of like leonardo from ninja turtles where like <laughs> yeah. they they think that they need to be Perfect. in charge of everything all the time even if maybe they aren't the best necessarily like they like to delegate but they also like to be the one to tell everybody what to do Perfect. so kind of like that <laughs> <laughs> then we've got clan toreador so tell yes. us about toreador toreador uh they are the vampires who uh, value beauty and aesthetic over everything else. So they tend to be themselves very, you know, beautiful or attractive in some way, and also are very tied to the arts and, and finding ways to pull up the arts and, and, and enjoy things uh, from that perspective and uh, are seen as being very emotional and, and overwrought and dramatic and stuff. Um, and they're, they tend to be, um, faster and kind of be able to run around more quickly and then their weaknesses are that they basically kind of tie into just who they are is they if they see something so beautiful they can't comprehend it it just puts them into a trance and they like literally can just be killed or something while they're staring at a beautiful flower or something that's pretty great i kind of wish that happened in the story <laughs> yeah. to the toreador character that we have to see the most of but anyway um then we also have the bruja clan so, uh, what about Bruja? Yeah, so Bruja, that's one of the ones that I think the show kind of did the weirdest job with. So the Bruja the idea is that they're called, um, their nickname are the Rabble, and they're kind of the, the stereotypical kind of, you know, street punk vampires who, who wear the leather and, and, you know, walk, run around and beat people up and are extremely passionate, similar, I guess, to the Toreador more in just kind of an anger way. They're, they're quick to anger and quick to to do things and, and kind of in some of their more positive aspects is and at least you know in the, the original game tabletop game is they were kind of shown as being the political kind of uh part of it like they were always trying to fight for change in the system and that kind of thing so that was kind of one of the more more you know stereotypes of the bras that they were the the voice of the people kind of sort of on the streets trying mm-hmm. to make change happen but also just punch things really hard <laughs> and that they're almost nothing like that in the show. Exactly. And the show just basically, <laughs> they're just mafia guys, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we've got the Gangrel. So yeah. how about the Gangrel? Uh, Gangrel again. Uh, tr- and funnily enough, I think that's kind of, we were talking earlier a little bit before the we started recording about how the show kind of was confusing for some people. We'll get into that. Uh, the Gangrel, in the idea of the books, is that they're the most animalistic of the clans. So their their whole shtick was that they could transform and eventually like, transform into wolves and bats and, and do things like that. But overall, they were just supposed to be more um, tied closer to nature and more in tune with uh, the idea of the beast, which is the kind of mystical concept of vampires having something inside of them that drives them to need to feed and and, and you know, be in control their territory and defend themselves. So that's kind of what they were. They were meant to be the more, you know, classical bestial vampire. 
Whereas and in the that show, is so lost in the show. That is so hilarious <laughs> because in the show, it's kind of like they flip flop the two of those things. Like the Bruja and the Gangrel kind of borrow from each other, and they're yeah. they're kind of not solidly where they need to be. And deciding but anyway, for them uh, to the, be the kind of you know the arch enemies of each other, was just, I was like, I'm not sure why that was decided, but uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, but uh, we'll we'll get into that when we get to that episode. But the very last clan that is in the show proper is the Nosferatu. Oh, the Nosferatu, who are, are you know, the idea is that they uh, could be just a normal-looking human, but as soon as they're embraced, they become horribly disfigured and disgusting and awful to look at. Uh, the most, you know, the, the idea is, the, the name obviously comes from the movie Nosferatu, uh, the, the 19th, 30s, 1920s, yeah. 1930s movie uh, starring you know the guy who Max Schreck who had the the classical bald head with the sharp ears and the the sharp you know two front teeth. So idea being that they're the just the mere fact of them becoming vampires makes them hideous and horrible to look at, which is portrayed so accurately with the casting of the of the one <laughs> the main Nosferatu of the show as we'll as we'll get to. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, all of these clans, uh, as we mentioned already, answer to the Prince of the City. And their whole job, this little council's job, is to preserve the masquerade, which is constantly being endangered by every single vampire that comes onto the screen <laughs> for more than two seconds in the show. Uh, and that is where the drama comes in. Um so that that's a little bit about the tabletop RPG version. It's basically like our world, but vampires also. And, you know, that's that's the whole shtick uh, insofar as the tabletop is concerned. So uh, do, do we want to go from here to go ahead and start talking about little bits about the show and start transitioning into that? Yeah, so we'll do like a, a small overview of what the show is. And we're kind of covering that it's... um. This is set in, dubiously set in San Francisco, (laughs) 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 where the the prince of the city is trying to maintain order. One thing that the show kind of, it doesn't have an uh, overarching plot. It's a bunch of small stories dealing with the same Mm -hmm. characters um, and introducing one or two here and there. And they're just kind of one-off characters, but they're... It's like a day-to-day life in life of San Francisco vampires. Um... But by way of Melrose Place, since this is an Aaron Spelling production, so there's that drama side of it is um, they're, they're leaning pretty heavily on that. But um, I think before we get into the show itself, um, we'll each each of us give a little impression of like how we felt about the show, uh, kind of going into it because it's how it starts is not how this show ends. Um, it has a, no, a very specific pilot episode. It's like a two part <laughs> pilot and that's indicative of like where the show maybe could have gone <laughs> but that's not how they chose to to take it um desiree since you we haven't heard from you as much um because we gave before tim for a little bit uh how did you feel about the show when it started yeah so um i came at it from more of an academic type side of knowledge of vampires, more how they're connected to the science fiction genre in general. Um, That's just sort of my background, and so I didn't really have any preconceptions of what the show was going to be. Um, That comparison to Melrose Place 
definitely started to hit home a few episodes in like oh yes this is <laughs> vampires plus drama and sitcoms and ridiculous <laughs> 90s-ness um but of course the whole time i'm just trying to in my mind connect it back to things like we mentioned with the nosferatu and going back to the 1922 film and then doing those little leaps of how do we get from there to here so <laughs> I, I there's, do there's all leaping of that. involved <laughs> there is a lot of leaping massive <laughs> massive leaping mm-hmm. yeah, and so. and that's that's part of the i think part of the charm of not only the world of darkness but this show in general because as potentially divisive i don't know if anyone's gonna say that this is a great show uh but it's entertaining it like it does its job uh, in as far as Mm -hmm. it's you could sit and watch it and have a good time and that's that's how we kind of went through it um yeah it's it's an it's an interesting like it's a very time capsuled show this is very 1996 that's a good one what what i was going to (laughs) put forth was that this show if it had come out like nowadays it would be a vastly different animal than it is you know than it you know is as it exists because it was developed in 1996 i mean what was on tv at that time you know i mean you're looking at the melrose place the the 90210 and all this other you know those kinds of teen dramas so this is a little bit different of a spin on that but it's still in that same ilk because that's what was selling at the time and there were not as many um kind of genres being represented like game of thrones you know kind of stuff that's been going on since forever you know that was such a long long show you know like that was way after this came out you know like in a post game of thrones post post all of that kind of stuff you know world where we have like the hannibal tv show and things like that this this could have been completely different completely different if it had been you know nowadays versus when it was so it is definitely a creature of its era uh it shows its age it shows the time within which it was uh made and definitely shown that it was a spelling production (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah the closest we probably came to something like a revival of this would have been um true blood true blood true and yeah but i don't know if even that hit the mark fully uh, in <sighs> what this was doing uh, because it also wasn't world of darkness it's a true, different true. setting i, I, I uh, did wa- unfortunately watch all of true blood and it, <laughs> <laughs> it cribbed a lot from world of darkness but definitely didn't quite mm-hmm. yeah and um and yourself tim so i mean you coming into this with yep a thicker background in, in the source material um how did that oh, I had a color like your view of this um so kind of my history of it was uh you know i, I was into the games as i said you know all throughout the 90s and then uh it was around the year i was working at hastings bookstore um back in 2004 and i wanted to i, I was scrolling through the catalog that was available at the store and I saw Kids Read the Embrace and I'm like, um, excuse me? And I, I Googled it and found out that there was a show and I, I tried to special order it and then unfortunately I had to leave that job before I got a chance to do it but I, I kind of always wanted to see it and so I, I remember reading that it wasn't necessarily the, the most well-received show but being <laughs> <laughs> much, you know I was, I was like, oh, anything, anything that's about this I w- I'm very interested in and then somehow just even though I was very interested in it, it just never, never happened to catch it. Never really 
you know, did enough of a job to try and dig into it. But I, I, having watched it with this group, um, I, I, I can understand why, um, I, I could see why it didn't do great necessarily, but, you know, at the time, uh, like you were saying, but maybe today it could have done better. But it's definitely something that benefits from watching with a group, uh, for sure. Because <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I appreciated a lot of it, and it was fun to see a lot of the fan service that they tried to kind of slide in there. Um, but then so many of the choices are just so baffling and weird and, and hilarious that it was, I, I had a blast from beginning to end, for sure. And, and just seeing the ways they had to kind of, in that era of the late 90s with before in the modern era of being able to show stuff like Hannibal on network television and that kind of thing, or even possibly having something on HBO or Netflix, uh, just seeing the, the leaps they had to take to try and, you know, show off what they could in terms of vampires and blood, but not, you know, just, just, just enough, but not too much to kind of keep it within the realm of, of, late 90s network television so it was it was a but definitely entertaining like you said from beginning to end i was at least at least having a fun time watching it <laughs> for sure and um it's it, i i have to say that that's part of the reason why um i ended up wrangling everybody and going Okay, like, because I had mentioned this show to Dave, and I said, Dave, we need to watch this sometime. But then when I was talking to um, all of you folks, I was like, well, Tim likes this kind of thing. Let me see if Tim and maybe even Desiree <laughs> wants to, to watch this thing. And like, you know, we just pulled it up on the YouTube and did just like a, you know, like a weekly watch session. And it's so much fun because then you get to comment on it together yes. and just kind of share the experience of how ridiculous all of it is. Because you have to go into the show understanding it is extremely flawed and it is extremely a product of its age, but that is kind of part of why it has the charm that it does. And it's trying sort of to get to the Vampire the Masquerade tabletop RPG World of Darkness vibe. Doesn't get there. Goes to Melrose Place instead. <laughs> and um, boy, is it a journey, but it's it's um, an interesting one. And it's definitely, it, and you know, something that I think ended up kind of becoming a cult classic afterwards because I in doing some research for the show when I went and was just looking around for stuff there are so many different websites that are just like this show needs to be rebooted they need to do like another one even now and it's like <laughs> this is so long after the fact wow and these people are still fighting to you know get this you know resurrected and bring it back it's like okay well Maybe no, but that's, <laughs> you know, like something, something along these lines, but maybe not, maybe not this exactly. That would be okay. You know, but yeah, thank, thank goodness. Uh, nobody cares about it enough to take it off of YouTube. Cause that was very convenient to just watch it up on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody, anybody listening to this has not seen this and is curious, you can absolutely just watch it on YouTube and I recommend a group. For sure. I think I I like uh, I was the only person out of all of us who watched it when it was extant. And even at that time, I was like, I, I was really into the first couple of episodes because uh, we'll get there. But that's where all the oomph is. And then after that, the wind gets out of the sails and it just kind of goes in all these different directions because they had different directors and they had different writers for every other episode after those first two. And um, 
it really shows. But uh, those first two episodes really, you know, were exciting to me because at that time, like, how old was I at this point? I'm like an early teenager, you know, like I'm a, I'm a teenager. I'm playing the tabletop RPG and, you know, here's this Melrose Place ass vampire show, you know, that's actually on TV. And I'm like, oh my God, they actually have something like this on TV. This is cool. Yeah, you know, it's like you said, there was, was nothing really... like this at the time, you know, mm-hmm. genre TV just wasn't really a thing at that point. And, you know, I remember uh, kind of an example of it. I remember when the show Heroes came out. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was like, wow, a superhero television show on TV. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You can't get away from it. Now everything's that. So it really was everything kind of a show, that. you know, how little, how much we were wanting kind of anything like this at the time, probably. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah. the next closest thing we would get is a little bit after this when um, Buffy the Vampire became oh, yeah. a TV series after the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that that was um, when, when was that 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 came out? Because I want to say that that maybe? was. Yeah, I was going to say I think it was a couple of years or something after this was on the sh- you know on air, and I never did get on board the Buffy train, even though a lot of people <laughs> uh, were just like you know way into it. I never did end up getting into that, which is very weird. But you know, because you'd think, Jala, <laughs> you like this horror crap. Why weren't you into Buffy? I don't know. I just wasn't. I think at the, I so. remember at the time. I think the name. Just it being called Buffy the Vampire Slayer was probably like that's even you know, I didn't think, give it a well, fair shake probably because of that. Oh, ninety seven well, actually. That's be, interesting. Ninety seven. Okay, oh. it was a year after. Well, so to be fair, I never even watched the original movie because it's just some blonde girl named Buffy, and that's not my experience <laughs> as a Cuban American. Like you know, like I just I can't I can't live down. I'm gonna watch Buffy. No. Uh, isn't she even wearing pink like she looks like a barbie doll she's a I'm cheerleader like, oh, so yeah it's yeah it's I, very I much that i can't valley girl but fighting vampires I, I i just could not and so like i wasn't gonna watch the tv show based on this movie that i was definitely <laughs> like no so and but you know uh, anyway that's that's neither here nor there but that that's um you know the the time and place that this show first aired and um when I watched it even at the time. I knew that the later episodes were trash fire, but I was still entranced by the beginning episodes. And when I first introduced it to Dave, I warned him. I said, well, um, the first couple of episodes are really good. And then it's just kind of like, don't expect much from the rest of it. Don't don't expect anything from the rest of it. And it was canceled for a reason. That is, that, But we're going to have fun watching this, I promise you. And that's, that's how I... I introduced it so dave what was your impression when you came to it so and and for me this show uh, is one that i had seen uh, on video cassette we had had uh, when i worked at a video store um, the box sets of this and i don't i think it must have been missing a tape because i I vividly remember the like halfway through the show and then don't remember the ending like two episodes so uh but i didn't have like I, i just binge watched it even back then and that's like maybe 2000 or so so 20 years ago so my memory was like there's a bald man and then a man with extra jaw muscles that's all i got (laughs) 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 so i was pleasantly surprised um by i mean we really enjoyed the first two episodes and then it just became a a different different um, thing altogether as the show kind of progresses Indeed. So that's kind of like how we all came to it. 
So do we want to give like the kind of overall, uh, okay, we already know that the first two episodes have their own story and then everything else after that is whatever, but um, how do we want to approach the story from here? Do we want to talk about those first couple of episodes and then everything else is kind of like <laughs> after the fact or, or what? Yeah, so we'll cover the first two as because it feels like it's a one coherent story uh, and then yes. just highlights, I think, from what comes after and maybe how some of these characters like ended up versus how what we what you feel like their arc is probably going to be isn't like what it what ends up happening <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about those because the divergences and what they do with the characters is i mean it's interesting um and it definitely could have just gone a different way <laughs> looking forward to bash cash oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yes so so yes, in the first couple of episodes, you are introduced to Detective Frank Kohanic, and he and his partner Sonny are called to the scene of you know this fight going on, or they're they're following some some uh, people who are fighting, and they end up seeing a vampire uh, who happens to be Julian's bodyguard. Uh, staked by rival vampires and left out in the sun and he burns to death just spontaneous human combustion you know is what they're thinking right at first and um, so that's a thing that happens and so he is introduced to the idea that yes there are vampires in the world meanwhile he goes on a date with his girlfriend Alexandra who is also a vampire <laughs> and Eventually, um, she reveals what she is to Frank, or he he kind of is like, what what's going on? This is a little bit weird. When she, I think it's when she act like heals from a cut or something. Yeah. Um, she slits her own wrist and then licks it to close it, just to show him, I guess. Yeah, she, and nothing's happening between I, oh, them that she should have to show him what's going on. That it's her. Oh, actually, no, no. I I think he cut himself shaving oh, is what happened, right. and then okay. she licked it off, and then the cut healed. And he said, "What the hell?" And then she goes, "Look, it's a trick. <laughs> I can do it too." And uh, anyway, so he finds out that she's a vampire, and he's like, "I want to be like you. I need to be with you." whatever and she says no i don't want to because he is innocent and pure <laughs> so uh well anyway compared to vampires i guess yeah he, he she didn't want to take his humanity away from him and uh so that's that's her shtick she does not want to make him into a vampire because she does not want to take away his humanity and everything about him that she sees as being beautiful and so uh she is endangering the masquerade because of course she has told a human that she's a vampire and so um the primogens of the clan all vote to hunt her down and kill her so uh frank happens to see her die vowing vengeance on all of the vampires as a result of this now frank at this point probably should be in a corner somewhere curled up because like he his wife who died i think suicide jumping off a bridge or something like that and then alexandra his vampire girlfriend gets cut up and then jumps off a bridge and not only jumps off the bridge to go die in the water but also catches on fire because the sun comes up right about then i mean the sun's been up the entire time which is something we'll talk about in the show (laughs) but like then she catches on fire and is falling and on fire at the same time so uh, leveled up from what happened to his wife, I guess, yeah. and so instead of falling into grief you know, and despair, he falls into just super duper snarkiness for the rest of the show. 
Yes, he does. <laughs> so that's that's the basically the first episode. The second episode, which is kind of a continuation of all of this, um, the primogen of the Bruja clan, Eddie Fiore, uh, in, in decides that he wants to challenge Julian's power. He's kind of always throughout the entire show challenging Julian and wanting to become the new prince of the city. Doesn't think that Julian is a fit ruler. Um, and so... He ends up ordering the death of an informant of Frank's, and the council votes uh, kind of like in a split about what to do with him, whether to kill him for endangering the masquerade, because, you know, this happened and, you know, Frank saw... I think he did... Frank Frank got wind of it and, you know, saw more proof of vampires or something like that. Um, but in the end, they end up having a split decision, and they leave him in the desert for a little while until sunrise when Julian pops out of the car and, you know, forces Eddie to beg for his life and hide in his trunk for safety from the sun, which is a pretty baller power move <laughs> to be like, by the way, climb into my trunk, you were you're only alive because I allow it. Yeah. You know? It's oh my <laughs> So that part there that's they put that on episode four. Uh, this is the one where they did a weird, um, so some of the vampires, I guess, have a power to hold an object and see the history of it or something. And they have yeah. the, they have the ring of the guy that was killed. And in the, in like the reminiscence of looking at the ring, uh, Eddie's like not in the shot. It's his sub boss that's doing it so they okay they like decide oh we don't have enough proof that it comes out as a wash he doesn't get punished there um he gets punished on the other episode oh, okay. isn't there something okay. also where they try to frame frank or something i think they has a pipe yeah the um frank they're doing a sting operation trying to get um the one informant um to have Eddie talk about um, money laundering, I think. And That's right. he know Eddie realizes the other guy, the informant's wearing a wire, so he ends up killing, having him killed. Uh, when the police rush into the warehouse, because it's like a fishing warehouse thing, he rushes in. They all split up, like, weirdly, and it's just Frank, <laughs> like, by himself going up to the office, and then he sees the, the guy with the thing stabbed through him and pulls it out. Of course, and he's just hold, he's left holding this bloody thing as everyone rushes in. So it's really dumb. <laughs> so that's a good that's a good yeah. point because we can take that as a. I just watched the first episode this morning, and there's a scene where the uh, the uh, Bruja try to take out uh, the uh, the Gangrel clan as they're all sitting outside, and they use the the phosphorus shotgun <laughs> and then like throw it on the ground afterwards. And Frank. Uh, just walks up and picks it up with his hands and just holds it in his hands like, oh, look, a gun. And I'm like, this yeah. is already setting the tone of the cops aren't necessarily the best <laughs> show. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that was definitely a thing. Um, well, another another cool part that happens in those first couple of episodes is that you get to see uh, Daedalus the Nosferatu um, slinking into the morgue through like one of the the <laughs> little crypt cabinet things where the bodies are kept and then you know like takes out the undertaker who examined the body of the bodyguard that had been burned to death in the sun because he of course is noticing 
some crazy things about this corpse, you know? Uh, so that was definitely a thing that happened and that was pretty cool. And, you know, um, Daedalus is kind of shown to be, um, the more or less the enforcer for Julian. He goes around and like, he is also the person who executes Alexandra, the vampire girlfriend of Frank, who, you know, endangered the masquerade and all of that. He gave her a chance by saying, hey, you can, you know, the water is your safety. You can, you know, if you jump in the river, you can maybe survive this, you know, having wounded her, but not completely killed her. But she is sitting on the, the you know, edge, about to jump off the bridge. And then Frank comes and screams Alexandra. <laughs> and then she turns and, though you know, even though it's taken her 50 million years to get to that bridge, the edge of the bridge, it's just because he said it and she turned that that's when she catches on fire because the you know uh the sun in this show (laughs) 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 is uh a very tricksy thing that is almost always up when the show is being recorded but only when plot convenient actually has any effect on anything um and so at that particular point the sun is definitely up by the time she turns and looks at him however then she catches on fire because that's like the moment that it needs to happen. And she, yeah. And then she falls in flames into the river, but (laughs) yeah, it's it's something that they kind of hand wave away too by saying that, Oh, if the vampires recently fed, they're immune to the sun for some period of time. And I guess they've always, they're always fed. Yeah. They've always just, yeah. they (laughs) They have always just fed always. Even Alexandra, right before then, even though she was losing blood all over the place, she was also recently fed before she jumped off. So, that's when the blood ran out, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and it's, and it's, thing, it's those things just kind of pile on as the, as the show keeps going. Well, the first couple of episodes also had a really good scene where Frank was very angry at Julian, you know, of course, because um, he, Frank has been after Julian because he believes that Julian is a mobster. And then when he finds out from Alexandra that no, actually, he's a vampire lord, you know, oh, uh, but he still goes up to Julian and Julian's not doing anything. He's, he's coming in peace to I don't know what he's coming in peace for. He's just coming coming to, you know, this place that Alexandra liked, uh, that Frank also went to. And when they encounter each other, Frank just empties his gun into Julian's body and, you know, gets further proof. Oh, by the way, yeah, you can't just kill him. Yes, because so. Alexandra's dying wish to, to Julian before they part is uh, to not harm Frank. He's, he's, he's too yes. pure of a soul. He's too too nice of a person, apparently. In her eyes to for him for so she begs Julian to not hurt him. And the only reason why Julian decides to go ahead and go along with that is because he is her um, sire. He brought her over to be a vampire in the first place, and so they were lovers at some point, and then you know are no longer lovers and whatever. So they have a past. That is why you know he decides that he will honor her wish and try to protect Frank. So, as Frank makes that very difficult for him to want to do for the rest of the show, yep. <laughs> for anyone to want to do, he's yes, the most exactly. angry uh, Brooklyn detective in San Francisco. 
<laughs> for sure. So Desiree, from your yes. your um more scholarly background, what what did you feel about the first couple of episodes and how those unfurled? Oh, from a scholarly perspective, oh dear. Um, no, it's uh, it's just interesting. Like I kind of mentioned before, the how do we get from these classic Nosferatu like creeping through the window and the the monster that can't speak to these charismatic slick-haired San Francisco vampires who never have a hair out of place and are mistaken for mobsters um all you know we've mentioned a couple other shows in this vein the Buffy the Vampire Slayer that then gave rise to Angel um so clearly people had a fascination with this idea of the the sexy aloof vampire and the vampires who want to kind of have human pets that they believe are too pure to turn uh the first couple episodes I think are where we also meet the reporter Caitlin that Julian ends up becoming attached to and mm-hmm. There's a whole plot line of the back and forth and will he tell her, won't he tell her, and all of that drama that goes into these relationships and putting the human kind of up on a pedestal when humans would typically put vampires up on a pedestal because of their immortality and their healing abilities and extra fast speed and super strength. That's a good way of looking at it. And um, Caitlin, I believe, shows up in the second episode. Yes, so, I think yeah, that's right. So, yeah, she does show up. She does show up. And she's just investigating Julian Luna as being, again, one of these strong business tycoons. And how do you explain your massive rise to success from nothing? And is investigating him, which is part of how all of that comes out. So when she's also investigating his history because where's his birth mm-hmm. certificate and mm-hmm. your social security number traces back to when how old are you exactly yeah and that that was a good element um at that beginning part of the show because it sets up of so many different plot lines that really could have gone into some exciting directions Unfortunately, they don't really, but like <laughs> most of them don't uh, end up panning out to anything. But there's a lot of plot seeds that get dropped in those first couple of episodes um, that really could have been fleshed out to great extent. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we'll go into the the next the Night Stalker episode. So this particular episode um, didn't air with the network television airing. Um, however, it is on. Uh, either YouTube. We we also should mention we did pick up um they're very nice box sets. Um, they're full collectors sets on these that do come with uh some a few supplements and the the book of Nod. So it has uh, like a little chapter book um that comes with the set. But uh yeah that that set does include all of these. Uh, although I think it was still missing some other content because from whatever they pulled the YouTube um rips from had uh extra bits in some of the episodes i, I think hmm, possibly i don't know I, re- I remember there being some extra pieces i was like i don't think that that was in the dvd that we watched for the first couple episodes 
Yeah, there's well, an also... ending. In, oh, sorry, Jala. There's an ending in particular that uh, I believe you and Dave were both like, what? That's not how it ended for us. Mm. That might have been the yes. first episode. Yeah, I think it was the first episode because there is um, an extended episode and then there was a second episode, a second version of the episode, which is the one that was... Um, minus all of those extra scenes and i think the one that's in the dvd is not the extended one so um that was the only instance i think of that happening because we 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 dave and i had already watched three or four episodes on our own before we got all of you guys to come in and watch him over again with us so uh i think it was just that first episode um that was just released like that. But they do also have deleted scenes on the DVD that are not part of what's mm. on YouTube. So um, if you are very excited about the show, you can definitely um, check those out as well on the DVD because there are some extra scenes. But that first episode you'll want to see on YouTube because it has a little bit more to it than what the DVD has. Yeah, and I don't remember that the DVDs aren't very expensive, so they're they're wallet-friendly. Um, if they're still in print, who knows? Because that <laughs> that's always up. No, they were on print. Oh, they they um, were in print when we picked just, them up. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was just a few months ago. Um, they are, I think, around thirty something bucks, maybe for the whole set. So yeah, it was something like that. It's they they weren't um they weren't too much probably because they're just still on yeah. DVD and not a Blu-ray. Uh, mm -hmm. But yes, so episode three is uh, maybe this could potentially be our. Not the episode, but Daedalus as a character. Uh, I think it's a group favorite. Um, Definitely. Aside from this mm -hmm. episode, <laughs> where it's a different yes. different writer, and uh, he just was kind of out of character here, but he gets a whole his own fun thing to do for an entire episode is to be a creepy stalker man. <laughs> okay, just just give us a summary. <laughs> give us a synopsis. Go ahead, do it. Yes, so in this episode, um, Daedalus falls in love with a club singer at the... We, we haven't talked really about her, but... Um, is it Lillian? The Vampire Hangout. Yes, yeah, so yeah, well, it's Lillian. Um, yes, so uh, she yeah. runs a club called The Haven, or Haven, and it's a, just a nightclub for vampires, but there's people there, too, because they just like to live on the edge <laughs> with the masquerade. <laughs> um and he uh he's there and he falls in love with the new uh singer and proceeds to try to woo her by leaving mysterious messages and little gifts and following her back to her apartment <laughs> and being do. just a voice a voice on the balcony <laughs> so the reason why he's doing this is to like just just to remind listeners uh he is the nosferatu he is the one who is supposed to be hideously repulsively ugly he's just a bald man he's actually a pretty good looking bald man and actually when i was watching this show when it was extant i had a crush on daedalus um so he's not actually ugly but like he's supposed to theoretically be horrific looking and so that is why he's scared to show his face. But, you know, he really, he especially likes this woman because she has a lot of pain in her past that he can hear in the way that she sings her songs. And he he relates to that on like an artistic, you know, 
level and a deep emotional level and they have conversations where she can't see him and he's just terrified to to show himself to her because he knows how she's going to react so that's that's why he's being weird but it's he's still being weird he's still following her around and being in her apartment in the corner you know (laughs) talking to her through the window and just like doing weird stuff like that and it's like okay unfortunate unfortunate until she can see him she has absolutely no problems with apparently oh yeah apparently not because she doesn't call the cops and doesn't freak out or anything yeah she 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 did and he like uh calmed her yeah he's right yeah he did that when she was on the phone he's like you should put the phone down (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna hurt you yeah so there's a little bit of that going on um and that's the that's the side plot of the episode. They they did a weird like two plots in an episode, which is you can uh-huh. do. But the other one is a uh, another vampire was recently embraced, so he's he's a, a fledgling vampire, but he's um, also criminally insane and is just wanting to use his newfound powers to take revenge and then just cold blooded murder people, uh, and it's is putting the masquerade in danger because he's not observing any of the rules and that's putting frank on the trail further on the trail of finding out who who the vampires in the city are or trying to convince i guess the police that there's vampires it's frank's a little ambiguous in what he's what he really wants Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's there's the night stalker um which is the killer you know that's what the newspapers are calling this killer this whole time um also off in the corner somewhere julian is dating caitlin the human reporter because um she basically was like i have a lot of questions to ask you and he says okay i'll ask i'll answer your questions but only if you let me ask you a question for every question you ask me and so then he's like oh we'll have dinner and so they end up dating because that's it's Melrose Place, that's why. Um, so that's what's also going on over there on some other other little part of the world. Um, that's happening. And so how the thing with Daedalus resolves is that he ends up using al- ancient alchemy to g- put a wig on his head to grow <laughs> some hair uh, so he can go see his lady love. And so he comes through the window and she's like, let me see you. And he's like, okay fine and so he walks out and he looks like steven tyler and then (laughs) they they have sex and then you know he wakes up in horror because he's bald again and then she screams and he flees out the window and then she's telling the reporters about he was like the devil he was an abomination it's like he's a bald man slightly (laughs) lengthened earlobes my god yeah (laughs) and may or may not have pointy fingernails i took exception to this bald man (laughs) yeah so so that's that's how that resolves and so then daedalus is like never again you know never again with this and um so there's that then there's also um the killer ends up getting resolved because he's stalking that singer that Daedalus has been in love with this whole time and Julian ends up tracking the killer down himself to the haven where he cuts his head off with a kukri and then right about then Frank walks in cool like or, or is it or yeah, is it that, uh, Frank, Frank, is, Frank was following you know, him 
I think and, like, like okay. ends up getting like, like, yeah. like um, well, he, he witnesses gets, like, it either way. Well, if, like, the, oh yeah, 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 the yeah. guy like ties him up with a speaker cord or something. That's right. Oh, that's right. Julian saves his life, so mm-hmm. it makes it even. You've got to have more drama. It's not that he just walks in. It's just that he's got to be saved by Julian. So yeah. it's already by this point of the show where they're they're just deciding Frank he's still going to be on the show, but he's definitely been replaced as the main character by Julian at this point already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is that that's definitely a, a true statement. Like Julian at this point is taking over as the lead and remains the lead character for the rest of the show. And that's about the only constant thing from anything else that happens. But um, so that happens. Um, was it this episode that Daedalus has that sick boy he's also taking care of? Or was that a no, different episode? That was a I can't bit, remember. That was a little later. Later. Okay. Okay. I can't even keep straight what happens in one episode because there's like seven plot lines in every single one of these episodes. So there's always a lot going on. (laughs) Is this the uh, one where Daedalus got very angry at the paintings that he had made and went and slashed one of them? Or is that also a later episode? That was toward the end, I believe. (laughs) I think that that's after they thought Julian was killed. There's a lot going on with these oh, later yes. ones. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's so there's, there's much starts happening. Um, so what I we do we actually watch the show. We, have, we, have. <laughs> we did. We, <laughs> we watched just, it. I can't remember any of it. It's, it's 45 <laughs> minutes of many plots, many threads being woven that just kind of unravel somewhere. Uh, but m- moving forward, we, we, we will have to bring up both Cash and Sasha because they become the star of yes. the next episode and they did appear earlier. So Cash is a um, a gangrel. He's the leader of the gangrels in the city. Mm-hmm. We think yes. because um, he's not good yes. at that job. No, um, but what- <laughs> well, that's because the the former bodyguard um, <laughs> yeah. is the one who used to be the primogen. But then when he died, Cash is the next in line. So yes, Cash ends up taking over, and he's he's new to this, and he. Obviously. a disappointment to everybody all the time there's not anything that cash does other than disappoint everybody and that's I the think. one constant yeah. in terms of character yeah but uh, yeah so cash not only gets put into the position of um running his clan in the city but he's also now julian luna's like head bodyguard um he does neither of those things with any kind of competency. I don't think he knows no. what he's supposed to be doing. Like, it didn't <laughs> come with a manual, and he's just, like, supposed to show up and make a sneer. Just, yeah, he just, he's, he's supposed to look like sullen. Frank. Yeah. <laughs> he's supposed to just show up and look sullen and then be broody, and because he's cuter than Frank is, and he's younger, he's the one to appeal to the punk children there we who go. watch the show. He just flares mm-hmm. his nostrils a lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> just fake but, it till uh, you make it <laughs> so so cash cash falls in love with sasha now sasha okay think various times that this show kind of does one thing and then kind of uh decides to rewrite what they're what they're saying at one point when julian's talking about his past life as a human he says that he had you know a his children and his children had so many children all over the, the valley and there's all these people you know that are, are now his kin that are out there but 
conveniently for some reason his uh, apparently one last surviving son uh dies and that is the grandfather of Sasha Sasha is in here his only living human relative left and so uh she is a troublemaker she rides in um on like a motorcycle to the um funeral of Julian's son and then goes up to him and says some stuff about how great grandpa was and then kisses mm. the corpse grabs him by the shirt front kisses the corpse and then turns around and is just like I'm going to drink to you and has like a whole bottle of something and that's that's how you get to meet Sasha. <laughs> that was an introduction. Julian <laughs> Julian uh, then takes her into his own house for her own safety so that he can watch over her. But it's a house full of vampires. I don't know what he was thinking. It's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. And th- So Julian is saying, like, oh, this was my oldest grandson. And they said, he's the oldest and died. And then he goes to there's the funeral. Well, the, the funeral was that entire family. Yeah. And yes, he's just yes. there saying that he's like the boss of the vineyard or whatever. Like not related mm-hmm. to the family. So if th- that doesn't make any sense that she's the last living relative if like everybody at the funeral was family. It's very strange. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. There's a lot of uh, Italian stereotypes in the audience while she's walking in. They're doing yelling out various things to her and I see guys in the background doing the, the hand movement with the fingers together like yo little kid you get out of here and it's just like uh, very, vampires are mobsters yes. yes absolutely <laughs> yeah so then when she and Cash first see each other they fall wildly in love because they both wear leather and have motorcycles I guess <laughs> yeah, she's already <laughs> dressing in like or gangrel fashion Mm-hmm. So, so what all happens from there, Dave? There's a lot going on. They um, it's it's a whole they, they the the episode is helpfully titled Romeo and Juliet um because they're two they do this multiple times. One's a human and one's a vampire can't really be together, and then they Subtle decide time. that that's not enough. <laughs> that's not enough. Um because of her position and the the danger that just being in the household puts her in because julian didn't think that far ahead or something we don't know uh cash eventually gets permission um to embrace sasha and then bring her into his clan uh unfortunately because of this crazy rivalry between the uh bruja and the gangrels the bruja um end up embracing Sasha first but but just in time for Cash to like oh, what's when he's going over there to, to her house to do and or to his apartment I don't know where they're at and I think, I think yeah I think they're, they're his apartment I think it's and, his place yeah and then the the Bruja just show up and just like grab him two guys grab him and just like hold him while another guy does it yeah while like, the once other again guy Cash you're not really proven <laughs> your, your job yeah you're the boss of a clan and you can't even fight off two dudes but yeah so and what ends up happening is sasha is now a um a bruja and uh their their bloods can't they cannot be together um 
it changes your whole emotional state eventually it's like whenever it's convenient. it takes over your brain <laughs> yeah yeah whenever whenever it's convenient and so sasha is no longer able to be with cash because they are of rival clans who hate each other deeply also since the bruja have problems with the ventru she also has problems with julian because of that too and then at the very end of the episode it comes to a big head where you've got eddie and all of his you know, um, followers and stuff facing off against Julian and all of his followers. And, you know, Julian is trying to recruit the Nosferatu to help him because if the Nosferatu come into it, they are so powerful that it, you know, that'll end it right there. If the Nosferatu, uh, join one side or the other, they are typically neutral in the show. So, you know, theoretically neutral, although Daedalus is totally <laughs> bros with Julian, but he, li- he lives theoretically in his neutral. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's also very important to to say it's the introduction of Julian's battle turtleneck that he wears whenever it's time. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Time his battle to serious. And yeah, we didn't bring up that his hairstyle changes depending on like the, what the mood is. His emotional state. Yes. <laughs> it's either slick, slick back and be serious, yeah. and if it's wild and front, is something's going on. Yep. <laughs> So, so yeah, it comes to a head, but then it uh, defuses because the Nosferatu end up um, siding with Julian and taking for payment the one who ended up uh, embracing Sasha and killed that person. So yeah, and then and that's how it mm-hmm. defuses because Eddie and the others step back, step down. Yeah. So. They, they step back and then Julian's like, well, you kind of just tried to step on me. So now I'm going to dump you in the mm-hmm. desert. <laughs> oh, so that's, that's when that happened. Yeah. Okay. He, had to, okay. he didn't get okay. punished for it, but he got punished for separately trying to like take over the city. It's one step too far, but not mm-hmm. really too far. Cause he still doesn't really do anything. <laughs> no, he, he also doesn't. He, he's good at business maybe, but the rest of it, not so good. Yeah, this is another one where I was, like, trying to still, I guess, figure out the rules of (laughs) what happens with vampires here. Because in a lot of fictions, if you kill the vampire that made you, then you're suddenly no longer a vampire, yet Sasha still was. So just like the daylight, where, you know, I initially thought, oh, daylight, that kills them. Oh, no, apparently not. (laughs) Just some of them, if you've been out long enough and hadn't eaten something and some other factors that have to happen (laughs) for it to actually hurt you they had on just enough sunblock who knows yes there you go right (laughs) well and what's funny is that julian has these sunglasses and he's always (laughs) wearing them and as long as he's wearing them he's fine julian julian himself never has a problem with the sun because he is the prince of the city so he is out in the middle of the day and people will comment like his his you know human girlfriend caitlin is like you know, oh, it's daytime and you're out to see me, you know, and like, we'll say straight up, say it. It's not like just one of those things they hand wave away. No, she says, no, you know, you're here for breakfast, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it it was a little ambiguous in the first, I think at least the first episode where it does that sort of movie filter where it's daylight, but it's kind of like a darker blue, like the whole screen is. So it's like that maybe maybe it's supposed to be night, but no, it's it's daytime. Yeah. <laughs> the rules only they apply just, they... when it's convenient for the plot for them to apply. 
Yeah, it, they kind of like abandoned attempting to make it look like it's nighttime at some juncture, uh, probably because they had so many different directors. <laughs> they just gave up on that. So. Yeah, that or maybe it was also part of its like shooting sketch. Like, well, we got we got the place for this long and it's daytime, so we're just gonna have to pretend, yeah. <laughs> or we'll just run with it. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but yeah, that was the the Romeo and Juliet bit. Um. The next one was the uh, the rock star guy, which was just okay. <laughs> that one was probably one of the only episodes that has one very simple plot going on. And that's about the only real thing going on. I mean, I think at that point, um, Sasha is starting to act like embrace her bruja-ness and is starting to act like one of the bruja and is running around doing crimes like a petty criminal and whatever but like, <laughs> like mobbing the, robbing the, the triad uh. yeah robbing the triad good job good job <laughs> and then like that's the only other thing that's really going on in this episode other than just there is a rock star guy who sings at the haven because everybody sings at the haven and it is one of lily's uh you know people that she embraced and she is in love with him partially because he is a rising star and because she embraced him yes and a, a very, he is uh, very good uh snapshot of what the toreador clan are supposed to be which are the you know, very passionate artistic uh ideas of vampires mm-hmm. for sure and he is endangering the masquerade because he's embracing fangirls he like the fangirls want a piece of him and he's like okay and then he's like i'm gonna just drink your blood and then give you some of mine and leave you somewhere random and not tell you anything and so there's all these very confused vampire girls that are showing up everywhere that you know are fans of his so um they trace it back to him and then eventually she has to kill him um because she is responsible for him. She tries to warn him and tell him to leave the city and stop doing that stuff. And he's like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Rockstar's got to rock. reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that's that's where that goes. Yeah. So. But doesn't doesn't Zane have like some kind of a background with Cash, too? Like he knows Cash. Yeah, they were buddies or something. Or something. Oh, so Cash is trying to warn him also. And... It's everyone's trying to look out for the masquerade and for this guy. Like they, they genuinely like like him, uh, except for the stuff that he's doing so casually. Yep. Yeah, I mean he I, has the but... totally amazing, you know, kind of mullet hairstyle at the time. Oh, that was such a yes. thing. I was gonna say it's it's the very nineties with like the really one really long earring on yes. the side. Yeah, and the, the shirt, really long that's side un- unbuttoned shirts yeah. and all that kind of uh-huh. fun stuff. So it's definitely portraying that look very well so it's very good if you want to see that kind of yeah feel of the 90s he's, he's very like jim morrison <laughs> in the 90s Absolutely. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah well we, we do get a little this is like a, a lillian episode kind of where she's a little yeah. bit more front and center and having some more to do um aside from we didn't mention it but she's she's incredibly jealous of any anything that julian's doing even though she's usually doing the exact same thing Yep. Yep. So like Julian is, you know, uh, having this romance with Caitlin. Okay. So, so Julian and Lillian are, um, like vampire lovers, but they also have other lovers because that's how they roll. And 
you know, so he has Caitlin, the human reporter lady that he's, you know, enamored of. And then she embraces this, you know, Zane guy, this rock star dude, and, you know, has her side piece, but she's still jealous of Julian's side piece. And she's extra upset that Julian is telling her that she needs to kill her side piece. <laughs> so yeah. that that kind of actually sets up um, the next episode that comes after that because uh, Lillian ends up sending a private investigator to take photos of Julian and Caitlin together because like she's trying to get dirt on him so that she can I don't know blackmail him or show that he's endangering the masquerade and you know get her killed or something because that's how she is um so like but that that leads into the next episode after that though that shows more of her jealousy and her kind of possessiveness of julian but like also um rebellion against julian like she doesn't see eye to eye with him she sees far more eye to eye with eddie fiore who is the bruja clan leader which we haven't really talked about very much Mm -mm. The face. Yes. How, how can we not talk about the face? <laughs> yes, actor Brian Thompson, who uh, a lot of folks will recognize from such uh, hits as uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, playing Shao Kahn in that. Um, and then also, I think he was uh, one of the punks in Terminator 1, but just, just a very large jawed man. <laughs> With very <laughs> angular features. So Powerful cheekbones. For sure. <laughs> Well, his character is kind of that of a, a kind of mob guy, and he uh, is like a mob tough, but he's the leader of the Bruja clan. He's almost always in a suit, except for when you see him working out, which we had this whole discussion about, <laughs> does that even make any sense for vampires? Do they sweat blood? Do they even sweat? And like, you know, how's that going to work for an undead person? But anyway, it's just, just the show that he's tough, you know? Um and anyway, he, he just has a vastly different idea of what is good for the kindred than what Julian does. And so, um, you know, he just kind of opposes Julian almost all the time. And from the beginning of the show, Lillian, uh, Julian's lover, the leader of the Toreador clan, kind of is almost always on Eddie's side about everything. Maybe not the way that Eddie does things, but the overall ideas that he has. So that's like another strain throughout the entire show. And for some reason, even though they're vampires, they're not like romantically involved with each other, even though everybody is screwing everybody else in the show. But like, you know, that's that's not the thread here. They are just allies against Julian. I mean, it's nice to see that there's not even a hint of that. They're just like they just have aligned um, like business sense, maybe is is, is part of it. And then they're like it's more of a sort of conservative um wanting to have firmer control over the city whereas uh that that's not what julian kind of just lets stuff go like a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes for all the talk yeah. of julian being you know this this crime boss mafia guy he seems to be a pretty okay guy except for some of the creepy things he does but like for the most part he's a pretty pretty chill dude yeah, he is. I mean, like, Eddie Fiore is a lot more of that mob guy, like I said. I mean, like, when you first see him and the way that he talks and everything in this show, he sounds like a mob guy, you know? <laughs> he looks like a mob guy. It's just whatever. But, um, so, so the next episode is The Rise and Fall of Eddie Fiore. And, um, when Lillian sends the PI to take photos of uh, Julian and Caitlin together, he, the guy ends up 
getting Eddie's assassination on film instead. So uh, Frank ends up getting copies of those photos, which he shows to Caitlin, um, the human reporter lady, who is, you know, Julian's lover. And Caitlin ends up breaking up with Julian because, like, uh, she finds you know, finds out something along the lines like the, he, she, she knows that he has something to do with what has happened. And she's just like, I can't be part of any of this and breaks up with him. And then of course, um, like Eddie eventually dies. And during the whole episode, Lillian is siding with Eddie, um, because she's been jealous of Caitlin this whole time and thinks that Julian's endangering the masquerade. And she has some legitimate points. He absolutely is. Um, You know, they've got legit points. But when Eddie dies, Lillian ends up submitting at the end of the episode to Julian's reign again, because she doesn't have any more allies left. I think she's the one who actually ends up killing Eddie, I think. Yeah, she uses a a katana that that just happens to be sitting there conveniently. Well, that's just because, like, she had to at that point to prove her loyalty or whatever and it's like uh no i'm not loyal to you (laughs) i haven't been loyal to you this whole time (laughs) after cash once again (laughs) (laughs) yeah he definitely was useless in this so the other it's not really a subplot but the uh, the assassin being sent in there um i don't remember the clan but they're like a shape-shifting the only shape-shifting vampire clan they're like the yeah the asamites we were like in the in the book, uh, or kind of. Uh, I think they've in the newer versions they've kind of tried to change them around again. They're kind of a Middle Eastern stereotype in some you know good old fashioned '90s politically incorrect ways. Uh, but the idea being that they're the assassin yep. clan who who you know all take on those kind of contracts and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Scary. Yes, and so I think the other little side thing was the um, the assassin is pretending to be Eddie. Uh, no, Ju- Julian. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes, and then gets killed. Julian uses that as a way to like fake his own death briefly until he can, I guess, figure out what's going on because uh, people keep just trying to kill him or get the dirt specifically on Eddie, who uses that um, the time that they everyone thinks that Julian's dead. So Eddie just steps up and says, "I'm going to be the prince of the city," uh, and we mm-hmm. we are treated to the best scene in the entire series where (laughs) julian shows back up and daedalus does the death scream of joy (laughs) his face is like inconceivable and we had to definitely take a screenshot of that because that was just boy something um his scream was just I wasn't exactly sure what was going on, if that was a scream of pain, disbelief, joy. Like, there were so many things going on on his face. (laughs) I I didn't really know, but it was (laughs) full-throated, like, out of nowhere. And it just seemed, like, very, very much, like, impromptu, kind of... It did not fit. No, it did not. And I think um, a couple of us, I know I in particular... uh, that face is so specific. I wanted to like try to do that and then make a noise. It doesn't work. Like they must no. have like dubbed himself <laughs> over afterwards. Like do the scream. And it's like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll scream. And then they put it over that face. And it's like, that just doesn't, <laughs> you can't make a sound doing that face. And you can't so make that sound. Really <laughs> it's high up, up in the it's mouth. up. 
And I tried yeah. to do that myself, and I ended up hurting my tongue. <laughs> it hurt for a few days. I, so, Desiree, did you try to make the face? Because I definitely tried to make the face briefly. Oh, no, I definitely did not try to make the face. Desiree is the only sensible the only one, of one of us. Yes. I didn't... I, I did not do it for very long. I try I I sat in front of a mirror and I was like, Nye. no. Yeah, it's like, well, this makes me sound more like Chewbacca than this noise he made. So we'll we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, it was it was highly amusing. It was so amusing we ended up using that as like a, a group chat icon because it's that good. It's perfect. It is that good. <laughs> so. And, uh, I mean, yeah. it could be, like, maybe the actor was just mid-sneeze, and they happened to catch it and just <laughs> kept it anyway, because why the hell not? The director was oh, like, perfect. who knows? Who knows? Perfect. Catch it. Catch it. Yes. Yes. But, so the thing that I had a big problem with with this episode, though, is that it's like, Eddie Fiore has been, like, the character that's been there, that's been, like, the major antagonist for Julian. I mean, Frank, to be fair, is also sort of, but then he becomes impotent real quick and then is just, like, sulking every time he shows up. <laughs> and that's all he does is look with his furrowed brows and his sulky face towards whatever's going on and say something sarcastic. And that's all he ever does after, you know, he... he you know, <laughs> wanes from power. Well, it's, but, it's after he told uh, the police that there's vampires and everyone just laughed at him, so no one takes him seriously. Now he's just mad. <laughs> <laughs> he's just pissed at the world. But, um, but it's so weird because, like, the whole thing where Eddie dies and Lillian is, you know, having to do all this stuff, like, it just feels like that should have been, like, a season finale or something yeah. you know like that should have been where they ended it they didn't need to keep going with the show after that 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 could have been the end right there and it may have been yeah. more satisfying than what happens yeah but then we wish sure. have had the name of the characters in the next episode this, this is, is true, true. Mm -hmm. oh my goodness oh and and it leaves this dangling plot of all of us thinking that so i mean it doesn't make sense age-wise as far as like age of a vampire but sasha is poised character wise to like is she gonna just take over the clan because they seem to just promote whoever <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but i think the idea is that you know there's there's a pretty good supposed to be a pretty good amount of vampires in the city but you only ever see just a handful in the show and that's kind of just that's all there are i guess yeah there's maybe like 40 <laughs> maybe <laughs> But yeah, budgets, budgets. Mm -hmm. We only have so many suits to go around, guys. <laughs> right. So yeah, so so moving on though, uh, the next episode is a Nosferatu special where a character named Goth shows up and wants to eat a baby on a night to make the Nosferatu powerful and ugly, like, you know, even uglier um, the way that they used to be, because apparently they were tamed by the others. Uh, according to goth and so like they they are um cowed from having their true power and he wants to bring them back to their former animalistic glory but they have to eat a baby for some yes. reason to do it i think i would recommend anybody wants to get a good take on the the end of the show how it how it kind of changes just watch the the first few minutes of this episode on youtube and just just to watch uh a, a, you know a, bald vampire run into a very nice brightly lit you know park in san francisco and steal a baby you know it's just like, <laughs> that's it's like wow and then to find out the vampire's name is goth and it's just like yes you gotta love it you gotta love it 
and the mother is like <laughs> yeah. not super she's concerned but it's not the level of hey someone stole my baby it's more like yes. someone took my baby oh uh, and we, we, we've well, gone the, this entire time and we did not we did not mention a very specific vampire <laughs> we didn't mention one of our favorite vampires but he's always there just when you need him when you need to have talking about (laughs) when you need to have that good neighbor (laughs) (laughs) he's there with his mr rogers ass sweater in the corner archon archon is julian's sire archon used to be the prince of the city before julian and so Archon is just like a retired old dude now, and he sits in his Mr. Rogers sweater in places. And like the first time I remember seeing him is when he walked in on Julian and Lillian having sex, and he's just like, "Your son has died, Julian." <laughs> like, okay, you know. And and I was like, "Who is this weird old man just like walking in? Like, no big deal." And everybody's just like, "Oh, okay." I guess the sex is over now. That's <laughs> we gotta okay. go check this on is network now. television. <laughs> we we gotta go. But but anyway, so um Archon has the best voice in the entire show. Um I, I don't know that any of us can exactly replicate the awesomeness of his voice, but he has this very specific uh canter, this way of speaking and just tone of voice that's just the best that just is is the probably the thing that we all do the most <laughs> is our archon impressions a, not actually yeah. yeah our archon impressions are like the lasting tribute to this show because there's not like a, a particular quote that we all go to from the show but there's archon impressions archon impressions are the best thing Charlie. so <laughs> well cuz he's always like you've endangered the masquerade julian yes. <laughs> for the third time or whatever. this week. And he's just... <laughs> Dorky at the end about the books is that uh, it's weird because Archon is a term in the tabletop books, but it's like a title. It's like a somebody who, uh, you know, is a agent of another title called Justicars, who are like even higher than the Primogen, I think. So it's like a it's like a title of a certain kind of vampire. So it's just once again, it's just kind of they took something from the books, but didn't really use it the right way. And it's just kind of hey, okay, why not just make it his name? <laughs> and and, and yeah. it's the most like well, I mean... unlike anyone else's name. <laughs> yes. So it makes sense if it was a title, and then everyone else yeah. is just like, hey, it's Frank and Julian, yes. and <laughs> Archon, <Yeah>. Buddy Archon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so how does Archon tie into this episode, Dave? I I think in this one is he's explaining like what's going on with the Nosferatu ritual, along with Daedalus. Yeah, because he's he he's kind of like your exposition dump of anything from before that you know. Oh, by the way, here's something that nobody is privy to except for Archon. <laughs> he's your little information dump. So, um. Other plot seeds that happen in this, I know that the mother of the baby that is stolen is a teenage mother, and she goes to Caitlin, the, you know, reporter lady, and tells her, well, or that or, like, Caitlin sees her in the police department. She sees her in the police the department. Other. But anyway, they, they come across each other, and they are talking about it, and she's, you know, trying to get this girl's side of the story and everything. Um, 
she gets really drawn into this whole thing and decides that she needs to get involved in trying to find this baby and ends up going into the park and ends up getting captured by the Nosferatu. Um, I Doesn't Lillian uh, put a spell on Caitlin or something with her vampire magic that's, or drug oh, her? That's right. Was yes. it drug gave her? her instructions like, she gave her instructions like she has to go to this place or something like that. Yeah, she like, like just tells her. Yeah, yeah okay, so that's why. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she was she for some reason she was telling her life story to Lillian, who has up to this point been like an antagonist for her. And Lillian's like, Oh yes, of course and then Lillian drugs her and then sends her off into, you know, the vampire nest. I think she told her because instructions that's Lillian. Like, go to the park and go to the waterfall in the park in you know, I'm sure there's just one yeah. in this entire huge city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um so she ends up getting captured at either way by the Nosferatu. Um, and she's like in there with Camilla, who is goth, the villain Nosferatu's right hand person. And so she wakes up, snaps to in this cave or wherever the hell they are, a uh, dark place <laughs> with the Nosferatu and the baby. And then she's back to her normal self because she had completed what Lillian had told her to do in going there. And then she gets into a conversation with Camilla about babies because apparently uh, Caitlin had a baby when she was a teenager and then surrendered it for adoption so that she didn't, you know, like, because she, she didn't want to have that kind of a life or whatever um, as, you know, a teenage mom, especially not during those years because at that time it was a lot worse now, you know, worse then I think than it is now. There's more support for people in that situation nowadays, but um, so she exposition dumps and tells all this backstory that nobody knew until now. And then this awakens the maternal instincts in Camilla, who was at one time when she was human, whenever that was, um, you know, like a mother of several children and everything. And so suddenly her maternal instincts get awakened and then she sets, um, Caitlin free and then returns the baby but meanwhile Julian has to have this big fight with Goth outside in the park around some stone because <laughs> they had to make Stonehenge for reasons <laughs> yeah. I don't know some, something's gotta happen with the Goth some, guy uh, story plot point Ritual. to not let him like not keep his back to the moon I don't, I don't even think they use it in part of the, as part of the fight I don't even know no they did not that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's strongest in the moonlight so don't let him like don't let him see it or something. It's like, okay. Yeah. And that, that didn't end up being no. a thing no. like at all. It was just, there was the moon and they were having their fight and, but they were, the, Julian ends up, ends up confronting uh, the goth guy. He tracks him down uh, and confronts him in the middle of all of the stones they set up for some ceremonial place where they can go eat the baby. <laughs> and, you know, so they have their fight. And then of course, Julian wins. Yes. So because he was doped, he was doped up with Daedalus blood. Mm, that's right. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, because Daedalus popped up and did a good thing again. Because that's what Daedalus does when he's not stalking people in the middle of the night. Yes, slipping his blood into yeah. a wine thing and not telling Julian. There's a there's a part where the where Goth and the other evil Nosferatu are trying to convince uh, Daedalus to to turn on Julian and. And there's a little bit of a point where he's like, do I, do I not? And so, yeah, it's his way of, of submitting once again, just how much he loves Julian. Yeah, for sure. 
So one. Okay. Oh yes. Oh, I was gonna say of all the points in these episodes where I rolled my eyes, most of them were lovingly or just, oh, isn't that ridiculous? But the whole Camilla motherly instincts and oh, now this is awoken in me. I think it took about a week for my eyes to roll back out to the front of my head. <laughs> Yes, for sure, because it's just like, you're supposed to be like some hardcore, you've been trying to fight for the Nosferatu feral brigade for <laughs> however many centuries or whatever, because didn't Goth drop centuries down there at some point? Probably, yes. <laughs> and, and so, like, she's been, you know, it all, all chips in for a long time, but all it takes is for this human lady to say the word babies in just the right way, and then suddenly her heart is softened, and she is like, oh, babies, and yeah. doesn't want to drink their blood anymore. I don't know. And Caitlin is just, you are the person that I should be dumping all of this on. You know, I, my, I'm not going kidnapper. to see a professional. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> not just once, but twice. I mean, first to Lillian, who is absolutely the person that she needs to say this to. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she knows that Lillian does not like her and is working against her. And then second to her kidnapper. Yep. Yeah. First and time, like, basically seeing a vampire and knowing that it's there's something probably wrong. Because at that point, I think Caitlin had still kind of been in the dark as, in terms of the masquerade. So this is like her introduction to vampires. And oh, let me tell you how much I love babies. <laughs> and and even with Caitlin, like so, the, the show the entire time that she's been with Julian, uh, she, she's had something that was stopping her from like making it an official relationship. Aside from him being her boss that owns the paper because he bought the paper out, but um, she's been hedging on points when he's kind of brought it up, uh, and then this comes to a head as this is the reason. Uh, why she didn't want to like go into a full relationship with him and it's it's i, I don't think it's the reason that anyone would have expected <laughs> like it's uh, okay yeah. <laughs> and it's like julian could you just go ahead and tell this woman you can't have any more babies <laughs> like just just <laughs> let her know that's all you did. just tell her you had a vasectomy it's that easy you know <laughs> like oh man so yeah, so that was that was episode number seven. Uh, the last episode was I don't even know. Julian and Caitlin <laughs> go off to a fuck shack in the woods, and Archon is left as like you know the temporary prince of the city again for a minute while he's you know off trying to spend time and repair his relationship with Caitlin and. So then his sordid past when he was Prince of the City, which has never shown because he is totally the most Mr. Rogers-ass guy in this entire show (laughs) this whole time. Um, But suddenly he's got this terrible sordid past that conveniently comes up at this episode. Um, And he's got people who have personal vendetta against him because of, you know, things that he did as Prince. And he had Julian at that time as his enforcer doing his dirty work so these people want to kill julian on account of archon's decisions and his his um, activities as prince and so here's julian out in the woods with caitlin having no idea that people are trying to kill him and then all the stuff going on in the city when uh these people show up and they're like 
And now we're going to take over. The end. So. Yes. Does anybody have any clear way of summarizing all of the various oh things that happened oh, in this geez. episode? That's a, that's a lot. Because <laughs> yes. it's a lot. Cash did a bad job. <laughs> As always. that's, that's That can sum up the entire series, basically. Notice how anytime any action happens, it's never Cash doing it. He, oh, he's there. But he's just there to, like, he's there. pouty. He's there, but he doesn't ever nope. have an act. Like, he doesn't actually do any bodyguarding. No. And he was sent on tasks, and he just, like, forgets about it or something halfway through. <laughs> well, I know there's a scene where the people with the personal vendetta against the Archon come and stab Julian and yes. just him getting stabbed once or no, no I think they also have a they have a wolf battle that's what it is they they turn into wolves and have a wolf fight in the woods and it weakens Julian so much that he's that that he's so sick and Caitlin turns into uh, helping him mode and starts trying to nurse him back to health but you know lo and behold what does he need what does a vampire need blood sunlight so, oh wait yes. oh oh yes yeah, that, that too. It, it obviously wine can't hurt lots of wine <laughs> obviously we've seen the show it doesn't hurt him uh but i think if I remember correctly that uh, she she does finally uh he he doesn't want to because he's trying to keep himself from from having to do that thing uh but then ultimately he relents and he takes a bit of uh, caitlin's blood and that is what gives him his strength back to to save the day basically kind of sort of or at least save themselves. Yeah, Archon still dies in the end of the yeah, show, yeah. though. For no reason. Much to my chagrin. He, like, like, he just was tired, like, I guess. He's been... It's like his, your, your wardrobe just didn't fit with the rest of us, so he had to go. <laughs> yeah, he like... He he kind of pulls like an Obi-Wan Kenobi, where he's going to have a gunfight, and then he just puts his gun down, and he's like, okay, and then he gets shot. It's like, what? <laughs> like, wh why is this even happening? Yeah. Um, aside from he should have left a long time ago because I think in the very beginning he's like, yeah, I'm going to go west or, or whatever the equivalent is. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm peacing out. And then he just stays there. <laughs> I know. Like, he says in the beginning of the show he was going to go away. And that's why Julian's like, oh, I'm going to miss you, old friend. And there was a whole scene <laughs> devoted to saying goodbye. And then he just it's like, I just was hanging I'm out just actually, in the sweater. I was just going to go to the study, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna sit and have some cognac and read a book. Hang out in these awesome cardigans. Yep. I know. <laughs> it's just pretty awesome. So so another thing, um so so Archon dies, Julian almost dies, but then uh he ends up, you know, uh surviving and, and resuming his rule or whatever, and that's like the end of the show. That the end, that that was it. But one thing that we didn't mention was after Sasha's bent of being Bruja, I'm going to go rob the triad, she gets over that, and then she breaks up with Cash at some point and is like, I just don't like you because I'm a Bruja. And then he's like, no, we can make it work, even though before he was like, <laughs> we can't love each other because I'm gangrel and you're Bruja. But now he's, he's taking a different tune when she leaves him. And then... I don't know. Then she goes back to loving him again, and then I don't. I don't know what's going on. They they're back and forth all the time about whether or not they they want to adhere to their vampire clan rule or if they want to just love each other and ignore it. And 
I don't know. Didn't did they end on a we love each other note, I, I or were they back so. to not loving each other yeah. again? I can't, I can't remember. I think they did because they keep going like, or even when she said let's break up, she walked away with that one blood tear, so she knew you knew she was like lying to. She was feeling bad because mm-hmm. vampires cry memory. blood like yes. only when it's important emotion. <laughs> I have some memory, like, the last memory I have of either of them is that another chance for Cash to mess up is that, like, they're trying, they're they're keeping watch for somebody outside of Julian's mansion, and then Sasha shows up and Cash is like, oh, hey, and that causes somebody to get killed or something. So it was, once again... Oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> Cash, that. Yeah. Another excuse for Cash to be like, oops, can't do my job. <laughs> that, no, that was the I one during, his, yeah. during um, he completely failed his job, because that's when Julian was going to be assassinated. That's right. He yes. walked away to go meet with Sasha in the backyard, <laughs> and the dude that uh-huh. he left, Bob or something, just gets his head cut off. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Oh man! Oh, cash. Yeah. So, so that Desiree, what, <laughs> what, what did you think about this very final episode where so many random things are going on? Well, so we also didn't mention how things end up with Caitlin and Julian because he is whatever ended up happening with them at the very, very end. So he is supposed to either kill her or embrace her. Right? Like, mm-hmm. that's vampire rule. You either oh, yes. kill or embrace humans. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to pick option C and wipe her memory. Yes. Yes, I remember that now. You're right. They, you, yes. That he did wipe her memory. Um, but was it was it her memory of everything? Or was it just the memory of just him being a vampire and what happened in the cabin? I thought it was what happened in the cabin, right? Yeah, I think it was... Just what happened in the cabin, um, because that was the only thing where it was definitive that he was a vampire. I mean, she obviously could have and should have put the pieces together much sooner. <laughs> yeah, but there's no no yeah. archon to let him know that he's endangering the masquerade yet again. <laughs> so, what, what are they going to do now? Yeah, no, we'll never know. They had to end the show. For sure, but yeah, just the you know normal so, non-consensual memory wipe. <laughs> yep, for sure. So, so this show, the reception at the time was you know, uh, Sci-Fi Weekly said that this is a cross between The Godfather and Melrose Place, which is very, very appropriate, I think. Um, the first and second episodes were allegedly very confusing to the viewers who did not understand the whole clan setup and all of that. Um, having I watched it when it was extant, but I was actually also into the video, you know, or not the video games, the tabletop RPG. Uh, actually, also the PC games. There, there were PC games at that time as well. Um, so, yes, uh, so I was quite familiar with it. So I was like, "What do you mean it was confusing? What's so confusing about it?" Um, a lot of people hated Frank, the detective, and uh, he was, quote, pulled straight out of a bad cop film, and Julian was a multifaceted character who was both good and evil, so everybody liked Julian and did not like Frank, which is why they had the little switcheroo where Frank is no longer the main character and Julian ended up the main character instead. So uh, a lot of people apparently said that they wanted Frank to die off early in the show. So although he kind of lingers in the show, he's not as important. And he, you know, is just kind of in the background sulking because nobody likes him. (laughs) Yep. 
I think we, we kind of stopped even talking about him towards these last few episodes because he, he basically he makes like anything. one appearance. Yeah, he's like shows up and just kind of does this kind of really annoyed look and says something snarky and then walks away, basically. That's that's pretty much his role most of the rest True. of the show. It just, he just kind of fades from interest. So, um, there are a little bit, uh, a few little bits of trivia that I wanted to mention about uh, the show as well. Uh, the paintings that are used in the series that Daedalus uh, paints, because he is ac- actively always painting in Julian's basement when he's not out killing people or stalking humans, um, or taking in little boys. We didn't even talk about the little <laughs> boy that he adopted for a while, but um, Daedalus is a nice vampire who tried to adopt a little boy who was being fed on by a doctor in a hospital. I don't even know when that happened. <laughs> but but um, that, that situation resolved itself, and that boy had terminal cancer, but he um, used his vampire magics and took away the cancer, and the boy was miraculously healed at the end of the episode, and he could no longer, you know, be around that little boy because, you know, he cannot endanger the masquerade. Um, but the paintings that he, his character paints, um, are actually originals by the guy who plays Daedalus, so that guy is actually a painter and was actually painting his own stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, the sign outside of Lillian's Club drives Dave nuts because it changes from the Haven to Haven depending on the shot, and it's always in a different font face. And so, like it, like Dave, every single time the it sign changes came up, color, Dave was just like it's it's wrong. It's the different color. That's not the same sign. And just every time, it was very upsetting to Dave. Yeah. Um, but what was most upsetting and unfortunate to know is that, the, okay, the series was canceled. It had already been canceled. And then Mark Frankel, the guy who played Julian, died in a motorcycle accident just after the end of the you know, series um, aired. And it was rumored that the show was canceled because of his death. Uh, but it was actually canceled before that. That just, you know, was terrible timing as well. Um on that part because his character of Julian really was the show. Um, after those first couple of episodes, Julian was really the, the whole show. So. Yeah. It's a shame. He was, he was, I mean, for sure. I agree with that, that he is, he is, seems to be the actor with the most, I don't know, depth to a lot of his, his the script is always he never, never great shakes, but he seems to do a lot more with it than some of the other actors. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, and up to the very end too, like he was given it his, his best, even to the very end where it kind of felt like some of the other actors who have very good characters, you know, in the earlier episodes, just kind of checked out and just kind of gave up, you know, <laughs> cause they're like, oh, this is going to be canceled. This is not going to live very long. And, and just kind of like, kind of gave up. But Julian was, uh, you know, Mark Frankel was still playing the part of Julian, uh, up to the very end. So but rest in peace for him. Um, the main problem with this entire show is that it was so inconsistent, and that's just because I'm sure part of it was the confusion of the, of the uh, audience watching it and that kind of reception where everybody's like, Frank is terrible, so they're like, okay, we'll make Julian. He's, he's hot. We'll make him the main character. 
Um, and then that worked out, but then they had all these different people writing it, all these different people directing it, so it didn't really have a clear voice. And after those first couple of episodes, there wasn't a clear plot line that was going because a lot of stuff just seemed to kind of vary author to author as they went from script to script each episode. Definitely. Yeah, the tone kind of goes all over the place. It feels like different ways, so for sure. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of exposition-y plot dump here and there, I think, to try to combat the people don't know what in the hell is going on. And there are better ways that you could work around that. But again, you know, only eight episodes, not a whole lot of time or ability to put a whole lot of deep lore into it. Yeah. Yeah, and... I I really still feel like the first couple of episodes really had a good sense of pacing, um, of build up, and all of that. You know, it was it was all going pretty good. I think in those first couple of episodes, and it's just really, um, I think it was mostly the reception that damaged it because once that reception was what it was people got shuffled around and they just kind of stuck whoever on the project, you know, to work on it because they had their contract, you know, for however many episodes it was, you know, the eight episodes that they did, I guess. Um, And that's really where it fell apart. And I think if they had tried to air that, you know, first couple of episodes um, again, like in a more modern time, it would have been a lot better received. People would have picked up on it and figured out what was going on a lot better and, you know, it probably would have been like a regular old series, at least for a bit, um, you know, had it been aired during a different time. It's just like the the climate of TV at that time was not really yeah. conducive to vampire shows about this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, still kind of, nobody really... I was going to say, sorry, yeah, it was, it was still kind of, even before serialized shows, series were really a thing that people paid attention to so it was it kind of probably hurt the idea of it having a continuous storyline so they kind of had to try and throw in these you know crazy ideas between episodes you know instead of being able to just tell one continuous story it was was not as common at that point still that's true most everything was very episodic at that point but the problem is by the nature of the source material they're working on you can't just drop into an episode and just know what's going on with all of the complicated things you know that are happening so yeah and that that's something that when they started doing buffy the vampire slayer um the the vampires are there but it's also a sort of monster of the week format where each episode will focus on kind of a different thing and then there's some recurring stuff in the background but you're you're given time to like get to know these characters and flesh them out this was uh it needed to either be longer like a longer than an eight episode series or something shorter like a mini series um, that just did one cohesive plot uh, once it started jumping around um, whether that be by virtue of them trying to tailor it to make it more um, consumable uh, or or otherwise just changing up the writers uh, made the show like it just took away a lot from it like that what, what it could have had yeah, the, unfortunately, I think the reason why this had a chance of being really good, which is to say the 
drawing on the source material of the tabletop RPG with all of its complexity and its different representations of vampires and showing different sides of you know different representations from around you know different types of media, um, like that is its potential, but it's also the reason why it flopped during that time frame because there weren't those kinds of complex things you know, being presented on network television at that juncture. So, I mean, like, this as a Netflix series now would have been the perfect thing, you know, not that that that's going to be a thing, you know, now this is a 1996 show, but, um, you know, that would have been, you know, the time for it and the place for it, I think that would have best served it. But definitely not when it it first aired. Yeah, it was like a kind of a little bit of a wrong time, wrong place. But you know, also they just like you were saying, they just had to keep on trying to move move things around and shift to meet what they thought the the audience would want, and that kind of did hamper getting any kind of consistent you know viewpoint. Yeah, and I think just yeah. the com- the complexity of the source material too. Uh, trying to decide what to pull from that to still make it like understandable like they they they've made it five clans you know and they're not saying that that's all there is but if you go to tell us oh yeah there's just the 14 clans that no one's in a <laughs> they had trouble yeah, with the five uh, um yeah. so that aspect of it and then um moving forward so if anything else is adapted or if they were going to do another series or something even now um the world of darkness, like the, the Vampire the Masquerade, like it's changed. I think it's rebooted, has it, Tim? Oh yeah, um, they've it's gone through a, a reboot for sure, where they kind of in the mid two thousands they kind of just started it over from scratch and kind of called it Vampire the Requiem, and that uh, did kind of pare down things into uh, kind of more you know five you know clans that are all kind of you know a little more simplistic. Uh, in terms of the lore and the background, so I think that w- that could be a good way to do it, where it it doesn't have as much of the meta plot um, to to work on, and it's more just about vampires and stuff. Whereas, uh, and they've also you know recently released a version, a new complete version of Vampire the Masquerade, that kind of similar-ish, where it's it's it still has m- more more clans, and so it's, they've started off with just think five, I think, uh, or maybe I think it might be a little bit more than five, but still kind of the idea is simplifying the the meta plot a little bit and kind of just trying to get more to a mood and the setting, which could be definitely easier, I feel like, to to make a series out of as opposed to the you know one of the things the that's in the old series from the nineties is infamous more is that infamous for is that they just added so much meta plot and so many different extra characters to the end that you kind of felt like you had to keep track of by buying all these supplement books and, and everything that it kind of got bloated. And that's kind of one of the reasons why they did reboot it is they kind of had an in in game apocalypse kind of occur that destroyed the world and started over. So that that's kind of where this ended up this universe before rebooting it. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking into like a little bit of that the reboot and just the setting of what it's started to started doing, and the I think the idea um, where in looking at like with Kindred the setting, uh, vampire there's a hierarchy sort of between vampires and humans. Um, it's not a, like a visible one, but it's visible in how the Kindred are conducting themselves. Uh, and in the, the reboot, there's, I guess, the second, Inqu- some other Inquisition where yes, a lot of vampires yeah. are wiped out um, and their status quo has changed. Like, they're, they're more, they have to hide. 
Yeah, so I think the, the kind of uh, the plot idea is that vampires got a little too comfortable, and, and probably a lot of it has to do with technology. They they were sort of relying on social media and and smartphones and whatnot, and you know because they were getting too comfortable with it, it, it humans and governments and certain places started to notice them and put the pieces together. And the idea being that you know they all kind of without vampires really noticing coordinated some strikes, and they it's titled you know. By the vampires, they call it the Second Inquisition, which is, uh-oh, and we're, we're out in the open again. So that you're right, it kind of does kind of set the, the baseline to being vampires have to kind of go back to the old school ways and hide in the darkness a little bit more. So it does kind of, it's a it kind of an in-game way to explain how vampires are staying secret again now that, you know, with, with modern cameras and, and everything existing in, in this world. So Desiree, you were trying to say something? Oh, no, I I was just going to agree, uh, Jala, with you about the idea that this could be a good reboot in more modern times, especially, you know, now that we've seen the success of things like Game of Thrones, which are the very intricate plots that follow a plethora of families with lineages that are nearly impossible to keep straight unless you have a flow chart written out on your wall with <laughs> lines all over the place connecting who to who. Um, yeah, so I, I think it could succeed even with the more clans and then just having a little bit more time to bulk up the lore of the world and just showing all these different types of vampires, I think, you know, that could have led to the initial confusion too, the different clans that have the different kind of specialties and what are Nosferatu's doing with these other vampires and how are they distinct? Um, so I think modern audiences are totally willing to accept that type of more nuanced storytelling, perhaps, than the 90s audiences of just wanting a light and fluffy drama. Um, but then if you focus on the, the drama aspect from the storytelling side, you'd have to do the work to show, okay, so why do the characters have to be vampires? Why aren't we just watching another uh, Melrose Place type reboot? So. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, it sounds like definitely with the um, adjustments that have been made to the world of darkness with their reboot and everything, that that would be, you know, like a it would it would definitely be a good time to do something of some kind of a reboot of this kind of thing. Um, I do know that the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines Two is going to be coming. Is that coming out soon? Yeah, or? I think they've delayed it to early next year, so it's it's in, okay. in the spring of twenty twenty one. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, so that's a Vampire the Masquerade video game. Um, the Bloodlines One game is kind of like a very highly lauded, although very flawed game. Uh, a lot of people really enjoyed that, so they are going to be bringing something out to media. Um, in this world so there will be something coming out but it will not be in the tv show format so yeah i think that that probably brings us full circle with going through this and it, it gives a good um, overview on like what these particular vampires or of the aspects that they kind of played around with because it's kind of loose um for this adaptation uh was given but it's nice to be able to compare that with the, both the source material and then a couple other um pop culture vampires that were out of uh, that have been 
it's not as big as zombies, of course, but um, have had their little bit more of a heyday again over the last few years. We've had Twilight and all the other shows that they're more in the popular consciousness. So a show or a reboot of this would be more accessible, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you were to reboot this, would you want to just try to keep some of these same characters and narratives, or would you want to just totally wipe and, and take a whole new set of characters somewhere else? That's not allegedly San Francisco. I guess I'll, I'll go with that. Um, so I would, I kind of want to see these characters again. Like I, I liked what they could have done with it. Um, rebooting with other kids, it's probably wiser to just wipe the slate and start with another group somewhere. Um, but this, that, that vein of it still feeling, um, that kind of just a drama setting i'd rather have that than it be a bunch of just kind of actiony stuff that a lot of tv series are leaning harder on lately like personally yeah. anyway yeah i agree i think that uh i would definitely prefer um kind of a reboot if not these characters per se then some of these same similar situations and things like i like the idea of them having a little bit more time to play with this whole last human relative of this you know vampire back when he was a human you know um and then like the danger that it poses for um you know her to fall in love with a vampire and you know all of the different drama aspects that are you know developed throughout this or at least started and maybe not uh worked through fully uh there's definitely a lot of um good story beats that you know plot seeds that are picked up or you know seeded but then they were just not uh followed through with because they just didn't have a cohesive voice or enough time yeah i i would definitely i enjoy seeing a reboot um, I don't know that it necessarily has to be set in San Francisco. Um, and I think for continuity, you could carry over at least one of the characters. Cough, cough, Daedalus. Cough, cough. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, just have some sort of continuity, some sort of tenuous connection, but then build a richer world and kind of do more of the explaining things, why they are this way, maybe... That would be a good impetus for starting the new show. Okay, we everything blew up in San Francisco. We had to up our operations and go someplace new. That's also an opportunity to reintroduce some of the other clans that didn't get highlighted in this version of the show. I think there's a ton of rich lore, and like Dave mentioned, vampires, maybe not in a full renaissance necessarily, but they're always kind of on the fringes of popular culture. Um, there's another vampire video game that came out, I think, last year or the year before. Not at all connected. I did start playing it in advance of this, though. Um, so there, there's always an interest in vampire stories. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'd be okay with a reboot, for sure. Yeah, I will add to that. Absolutely okay with a reboot. Um, I think I'd, I'd kind of prefer to have a, kind of a clean slate, maybe more, of an idea. But definitely, I, you know, if 
we're going to bring back anybody would 100% be dataless. Um, but uh, I would like, to, I think one of the things that this show, this, this, this first, you know, this original series kind of tried to have with Frank and didn't really succeed was having that kind of audience surrogate character. And so I'd like to see it's like a reboot that, you know, really drills into that idea and maybe like have it be, you know, a newly turned vampire and following them as they have to learn the ins and outs of the society uh, from their perspective, as opposed to, kind of losing track of it by jumping back and forth between things. So I think that could be a, a really cool idea to have a show based on you know, a new city and having them learn how the clans and the culture works and learning the rules of everything from their perspective uh, and then kind of having some fun fan service to tie back to the original series for the hints and name drops here and there. I, I think that would be pretty awesome to see. Definitely. As long as they don't become like a Malkavian if we're going with oh, yes. the old clans. <laughs> <laughs> I I I played a Malky, but like you know, Malkavians are a clan of vampires who are all deranged in some way, shape, or form. Yes. But because like they they definitely had to reboot everything and kind of nix that because that's uh, you know uh, kind of showcasing people's um, you know f- mental and physical challenges in a way that they should maybe not be doing. But like back in the nineties, that was definitely a thing that was you know, part and parcel, yeah. kind of like the Asamites being a bad 90s take on Middle Eastern people, more or less, and things like that. Um, that's another reason why they had to wipe the slate. I will clean. say, uh, to but, add to that, um, definitely they had some of those, that 90s anti-political correctness. Uh, and they've had a few missteps with the reboot, but for the most part, you can really tell that they, uh, in, in following some of their designer diaries uh, and, and developer notes and everything, that they've tried to really be respectful to a lot of different uh, you know, sources and getting some of the sensitivity writers and, and resources to really try and make sure that these, there's, you know, none of the elements in the new series are have any kind of problematic parts to it. So they're, that's something that they've, I can tell they, they've themselves have said, and you kind of see that they're really trying to make an effort to not have any of that kind of side of it in this newer version. So it's nice to see. Yeah, that's good. That's definitely good. So so any um, final thoughts about the show as it exists? Desiree, you first. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, I, it's delightful. It's charming. It's a perfectly fine way to spend, you know, an entire day binge watching something that doesn't require a whole lot of attention as long as you are fully aware going into it you might be a bit confused about some things, like who's in which clan and what does this clan do? It doesn't matter. Just sit back and enjoy it for the good laughs that it's going to provide. Have a drink in hand. That's <laughs> my extra little bit. That does Indeed. seem to There were definitely some, definitely some what you drinking tonight, guys, <laughs> going on. So Tim, what about you? Wrap up thoughts sure. about it. Sure. I mean, uh, I I had a blast. I've la- I haven't laughed as hard in a long time as I have during some of these episodes <laughs> with you guys. Uh, and kind of just to sum it up, uh, yeah, Cash is actually the worst. He's he's terrible at his job, and uh, but extremely entertaining at how terrible he is. And I'm very glad that we watched this all as a group. It was, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, I think for my part. Um, Definitely, I had a lot of fun coming back to this, and I'm glad that I could drag all you guys in to uh, see all of 
the ridiculousness that I remembered from however long this will, you know, long ago it was that I first saw it. Um, and then just kind of reliving some of this and going, wow, that's so 90s. And just kind of laughing at, at how ridiculous some of this fell out to be. It, as much as I, as everybody's mentioning laughing, because it, there is just, there's a lot of, you know, joy to be had as well as just like boy some of this is some of this is trash you know um it all in all it's enjoyable even though it's a flawed thing you know going into it when when it boots up that it's going to be some really um definitely melrose place type drama (laughs) going and um it's going to be some good fun, though. So I, as much as it's it's uh, a weird little series that maybe not everybody knows about, it's definitely something that is, you know, um, watchable and rewatchable, as a matter of fact, in a way that sometimes newer stuff just isn't. So, Dave? Yeah, it's something that um, I think it's because it takes itself seriously. Uh, that becomes yes. part of the enjoyment. If it was, if it was a pastiche, or if it was something that was poking fun of itself, I, I would have liked it less. Like it, it needs to just be yeah. what it is, and then wear that on its on its terrible sleeve, <laughs> because it, it just it keeps it um, trenched in its time. Uh, it, it's it's showing its flaws, and it's proud of them. It's just going to be what it is. Earnestness. You know, yeah. And so it, it's, it's refreshing and it's, it's humorous. It's, you're not like, you're laughing because of it and not at it as much. I don't feel like I'm just yeah. going, oh, this is so stupid. It's more like, I can't believe they just did that again. <laughs> <laughs> did that? Yep, they did. And, and it's a, I think, I think it, that makes it comfortable. It's something that um, we you know we've gone through and watched some of the episodes multiple times. Um, and they, because there's so much going on, it kind of benefits from a, a little bit of rewatching on a few of the episodes. And you kind of get a little bit of more of appreciation for the characters because they they are nuanced uh, in the beginning. And then they become like archetypes of their own self. I don't know how you would, <laughs> they become their own type of character and they're just you're gonna get what you get except for episode three where daedalus did something else but um (laughs) by and large you you they pop up again and you can enjoy them for what they are because they're they're just larger than life ridiculous characters and it's it's great yeah and i think that the actors and actresses do a really good job of straddling that line between being like super campy but also serious at the same time like um the the lady who plays Lillian was on um Days of Our Lives or something oh. like that so she was a daytime soap opera lady so she's very good at getting that you know like RBF going she's got real <laughs> RBF and the way that she smiles with her eyes lighting up and you just know she's about to do the t- most terrible thing ever because of you know she's she's that character you know like she's that character and that that you know actress played in soap operas so you know daytime tv oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but but they all carried their their characters um you know really well until you know like towards the end you know that they all knew that it was coming you know but um at the same time 
uh, still quite a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we um, forgot about, maybe on purpose, <laughs> is that you can always count on the Haven to have the worst music in the history of. A club. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna mention it, but then I was like, we'll end up camping out yes. on that for a minute because we, boy, that yeah. music was oh, just man. every time it came on. It's it, ironically, as the series got worse, the music got better. <laughs> And the music in the Haven was not as terrible in later episodes, but at the beginning, it's like every single episode. Oh God, what is this? Just some kind of weird, smooth jazz synth stuff. Yes, yeah. It, it turned into a game of like, what do you think they're going to play this? Oh, yep, that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I think that that wraps us up for this um, slightly lengthier than maybe we were planning to do um, episode, but we we covered uh, Kindred the Embraced in its uh, breadth and width and everything in between um, pretty 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 fully. <laughs> I don't think we can do much of a, a better service to it than it um, does of its own accord. So that leaves a little tidbits for um, anyone interested in to to kind of go and, and check it out on their own. Um, since we didn't do every play-by-play bit and we obviously forgot little parts because there's just so much going on in these episodes but um <laughs> they're, they're, they're fun for what they were uh and that's um that's a nice cross-section of different vampires too uh there's there's a few um library scenes where um frank is doing research and the illustrations are, are they, they make it into like the opening credits so that that part's a little bit of fun and i wish there was more exposition um spent on that because these there's so much history and richness to these different clans that they just really didn't get into um for i mean i think obvious reasons but uh it, it would have made some of that like a little more of a draw for um people already versed in the uh the masquerade but yeah that's that's us i think for this episode we'll do a little bit of admin and then kind of sign off um Jala, where can folks find you on the internet? Uh, well, they can listen to me on the regular show that I'm on, The Level Podcast, at thelevelpodcast.com. As for me, you can find me on social media or anywhere I can be found, at Jalachan. All right. And Tim, if there's anything that you would like to plug? Uh, plugs? Not so much. Um, I'm just around places. Uh, I, I been, you know, haven't really been doing working on anything myself, uh, but if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at, uh, I forgot my own username, uh, what I'm actually at. Oh, so it's going to be at frothy underscore ham on Twitter. <laughs> right. And Desiree, how about yourself? I am terribly uninteresting in my post-grad <laughs> school life. Um, but I am at D Nyans, and that's N E Y E N S on Twitter. All right. Well, I'll have those up in the show notes. Um, I am on Twitter as well at Cintinot underscore plus, which is always in the notes because I never feel like spelling it out on the podcast. And you can find any back episodes uh, of us at um, monsterdeer.monster. I always try to add a dot com, but no, I picked monster. Uh, yes, so it was great having everyone here. This was a lot of fun, um, and I, I really enjoyed um, spending the time not only to watch these in the first place, but to kind of reminisce over the shenanigans that were going on in this show. Yeah. Uh, it, it was good. But, yes, um, it was I a think, lot of fun. Thanks for, uh, thanks for yeah, the invite, for sure. Yeah, and everyone's great. welcome back. I'm sure we can find an excuse to do something similar again in the future. 
we'll find something else to watch mm-hmm. together. <laughs> oh. Indeed. Thanks for having everyone on, and that's us saying bye-bye, folks. So, bye-bye.